Next paper is from Judith Hare, um, who's going to look at industrializing, an industrializing rural area of, of South India and the political economy of development. Judith. <coughs> Thank you very much. Um, since this is my only opportunity, I just want to say, of course, that I owe a huge debt to Gavin, who, um, when I first came to Oxford in the mid-1970s, um, after working in Kenya and uh, being deeply involved in Kenyan politics and Kenyan economy and felt very isolated. One of the um, people who turned out to be a very strong natural ally was Gavin. Um, I had a very nice introduction to Gavin through Ruth First, with whom I'd been working a bit in Kenya and who had said to me, when you go to Oxford, look out for Gavin. And I have to say that he didn't take very much looking out for. <laughs> Gavin and I were very much on the same side of the fence. Um, so we started off with the project which led to the Rural Development in Tropical Africa book that we did together with Pepe Roberts, and then went on to run the Comparative Political Economy of Rural Development seminar with a number of different people, including Barbara at some stage, um, which provided um, an opportunity which was rather rare in my Oxford life of a continuing discussion and a continuing interaction um, with Gavin and others who were part of that, of that seminar. And that was really a lifeline for me, um, being located in Oxford in the economics department, coming out of a situation in Kenya where interaction with other disciplines was very strong and very much part of our everyday life into an academic scene here where, despite the fact that we were all teaching on an interdisciplinary undergraduate program, the borders between disciplines seemed incredibly tight, rigid. So um, thank you, Gavin, for all that early, all those early years when I would otherwise have felt very alienated and isolated in Oxford. Um, there are a number of, of, of things which um, Gavin and I um, shared including an interest in rural development, an interest in the smaller producers that I called smallholders and he called peasants, a deeply skeptical view of aid and the World Bank. But I think um, probably most importantly for me and something which is most enduring for me was the combination of the value of looking in detail at what was happening on the ground, paying meticulous attention to the detail, um, really thinking it was worth spending a lot of time getting the detail right in order then to make sense of the big debates and arguments that were going on. And um, that's something which I have certainly um, gone on with and where um, I keep returning to some of the discussions that I had with Gavin and continue to have more rarely now with Gavin now that we've moved off in different directions. So um, let me then go on to my paper. The paper that I have done is um, completely different from what we've been discussing so far, which seems to me to be um, very much ranging in, in the general theory um, realm. And um, I'm emphasizing what I think of as another very strong part of Gavin's work, taking off from that, which is this very detailed look at what's happening in particular situations. And I'm thinking most recently of the work on the wine industry in the Western Cape, and all the attention to the detail that's needed in order to get the story straight before being able then to discuss the larger issues that arise from it. 
Um, the paper that I've done for this conference is only very much work in progress, and I'm raising more questions than I'm answering at this stage. But I've been looking at a very specific development trajectory in a region in western Tamil Nadu, in southern India, which is something of a paradox in terms of many of the things that we associate with contemporary development in India and elsewhere. It's a region in which um, knitwear, T-shirts, garment manufacture for export grew up rather suddenly and very rapidly in the middle of the 1980s and has continued to grow from strength to strength ever since, transforming a whole area in which I had been looking at rural development and thinking of as a very rural economy in the, in the early 1980s before this knitwear cluster really got going. And um, what this has, has, the fact that I have, was, was seeing this area as a rural area, dis discussing and, and um, working on the rural side of that economy, and then had this great knitwear um, production um, cluster industry superimposed, growing up, spreading its tentacles, um, made it very, very interesting to follow um, a, the transformation that took place which in many cases, in many ways, had the trappings of what looked like a classic case of industrialization on a very local scale, but which was associated with a very strong story of welfare interventions alongside this rather raw form of industrialization. And that's really what my paper is trying to draw attention to, this combination of, on the one hand, a very um, rapid development of a labor-intensive industrialization process that was taking place and, and having an influence on the rural economy, um, juxtaposed with a, state, a series of state policies that had very strong welfare interventions um, associated with them. It's very unusual um, these days, especially in the larger context in India and elsewhere, to be looking at an area in which employment generation has been quite so um, strong, um, quite so dynamic, quite so continuing. And what my paper is ending with is a big question of how long this can go on for. I don't think this is something which um, can build into something more um, sustainable in the long term. But while it's happened, it's had all the trappings of a rather benign form of development of a kind which um, it's taken me some time to recognize. Now, I go for, through a lot of the detail in the paper, and um, I won't have time to go through that now, but just to say that um, what I started off with in the early 1980s was looking at a rural economy in which there was a very high degree of commercialization of small-scale agriculture, in, um, certainly in African terms, but in most senses of the term, which was um, employing large numbers of landless people and people with very little land, so it was a big landless laborer class, generating relatively high profits and standards of living out of very impressive employment conditions and generating relatively high profits and standards of living for the employers, that is. And um, the, uh, what I was looking at at that stage, which I found really quite um, surprising coming from an African context was the degree of control of the employers, the degree of exploitation of this landless labourer group and 
the um, subtext of caste that was part of the institutional setting in which this degree of exploitation was, was made possible. I was very fortunate because having looked at, having seen this agrarian economy in its heyday in a sense when the agrarian side of it was very strong and, and um, working very strongly in favor of the employers certainly, I came back again to the same area in, uh, 15 years later in 1996 to find the garment sector had taken off, it was barely on the horizon in 1981 to It had been growing and continuing to grow through the 90s and has gone on growing since when I've been doing more work there. And that I could look at the effect that this had had on what had originally been a very dominantly agrarian economy and the effects were very interesting. Um, the, the, The first major point I want to make is that the garment sector Um, the knitwear sector, the garment sector, the garment manufacturing sector for export, has a reputation internationally, in in many senses well justified, as being a sector which is um, very exploitative, which is associated with very poor working conditions, and um, child labor, exploited female labor, and so on. But within the economy in which I was studying it, appeared to be a very much better option than what had been on the cards before. So what was um, the first thing that was very interesting about this story is that this garment sector, which is the subject of still of, of um, quite a lot of publicity in Britain and elsewhere about its very exploitative and unacceptable employment conditions, from the point of view of people who had been working in an even more oppressive agrarian structure, has seemed to be a very big step forward. Um, the um, interesting thing that was happening in the villages as a result of the growth of the garment sector was that not only were wages and terms and conditions of employment in the garment sector appearing attractive to rural labor, but also there was a very distinct improvement in labor conditions in agriculture, which was having to keep up with this expanded garment sector competing for labor. Um, And I've given some of the evidence in the paper on um, what I regard as good indicators of the improvement in conditions for people working as laborers in agriculture and in the garment sector um, since. But the the second part of the um, story, which is very interesting, is that um, we might look at this and say this is the um, result of the expansion of the knitwear cluster or the, the knitwear industry. But um, what was paralleling the expansion of this knitwear industry was a very strong interventionist state, which was um, particularly strong on intervening with welfare interventions um, rather than interventions or more than interventions which supported production. And this is a series of, of welfare interventions, welfare policies, which comes out of a long history of politics and of social movements in that state and predates a lot of the um, welfareist policies that have um, been taken up since at the center in India. So um, this is not a a state which is engaged in um, social welfare interventions as a result of external pressure, pressures from World Bank, etc., but a state which had its own internal reasons for wanting to, needing to 
support the um, welfareist policies that it undertook. Now, just to give you a flavour of them, they include very heavily subsidised food and essential commodities, free midday meals in schools, which are now a national policy, but which came in in Tamil Nadu in 1982, 1984 in the rural areas, free school books and uniforms, free saris and dhotis once or twice a year, basic clothing, free festival foods, and astonishingly in many senses in 2008, free colour televisions. So we have a state that's redistributive, distributing handouts, distributing goods of all kinds, um, right up to the recent distribution of free colour televisions. And um, every household um, in the labouring class has now got what is labelled a Karananadi television, associated very nicely with the name of the Chief Minister of the State. There are also pensions, maternity benefits and accident benefits. There's a very extensive housing and public amenity program for Dalits. And there's the recently introduced National Rural Employment Guarantee Scheme, which in theory provides up to 100 days of work per household per year to anybody who applies for it. And that latter is the only one of these interventions which is very directly um, something which comes from the centre, from Delhi, and not a programme which has come out of the local state political context. But as with all these other interventions, the Tamil Nadu state is implementing it in a very serious and a very strong way, um, much more strongly than many other states in India, even though it doesn't seem to be one of the types of programs to which it's previously attached any importance. Now, these and other state policies, particularly on education and health, um, I'm, I'm wanting to argue, have helped to put a floor under wages, have raised the reservation wage, have tightened the labour supply, and are keeping the wages paid by employers lower than they otherwise would be. So what we have here is a combination of a very labour-intensive industrial development, which has um, created massive increases in, in employment, not just in the region, but further afield with a lot of migrants coming in from elsewhere, coupled with a series of state policies which have had the effect of tightening the labour market, um, reducing the labour supply in many different ways, and I go into some of these in the paper. But the problem is that it's not clear where this will now go, because um, the problem now is that the, uh, there is a real sense of a labour shortage, the bargaining position of labour has become very strong, and the region is certainly going to have to go on responding to demands for higher wages. And the question is whether the textile industry, the garment sector, and the other industries associated with it are going to be able to sustain or support the sort of increase in wages and, and standards of living that are, I think, going to be demanded. Um, so a serious question now is whether it's going to be possible for this region to um, transition into a region which diversifies and goes into other types of, of activity which are associated with the possibilities of higher productivity and higher wages and higher incomes for a population that has now a labour population that now has strong bargaining power and is um, pushing on the um, frontier on wages. And 
the problem is that the, the, the state of Tamil Nadu is now encouraging a very aggressive form of capitalist development of a kind that looks as if it's going to generate less employment. Um, and that is coupled with an agricultural development strategy, agriculture having been neglected very badly in the last couple of decades. The state now seems to be wanting to um, bring large-scale corporate investors in linked to either marketing arrangements or contract farming to solve its problem in agriculture. And the, the problem with this sort of state development policy, coupled with um, a continuation of the welfareist policies, is that it looks as though it's turning into a much more um, standard model of going full out for the, the, the aggressive capitalist development and um, using the, the supportive welfareist policies to maintain the livelihoods of the poor or to buy support from the poor or to keep the poorer sections of the population um, in line. So what has looked like in some ways a surprisingly benign form of development in this region is I think now very much under threat. And I, I'm going to end there by just saying that I, I just want to put this on the table as a very, um, <coughs> very much work in progress but as, as an interesting case which addresses some of the issues that we've been talking about. Thank you. Thank you, Judith. Some real economics in there. Yeah. And uh, also... Um, you didn't say anything about their budget deficit. There's no time to do that. But I will observe that uh, I was recently doing some uh, work on the UK economy for a South African magazine, and I discovered that one of the plans of the current government is to abolish free school meals for working parents. So um, they're ahead of getting ahead of Tamil Nadu, I guess. That's yeah. the next thing. <laughs> okay, um, and we have the final paper from Lindsay Whitfield, Agrarian Capitalism in, in Ghana, a new kind of agrarian capitalism.